emotions get the best of us and we don't function just trusting the Lord, right? Something happens and I can make the excuse that I'm Italian and so emotionalism is kind of in my DNA. But the reality is, is that instability comes when we lack faith, when we lack that settled trust that God is God and we are not, that God has things under control and we don't have to because he does. So Reuben's instability shows us that we need to make sure that we trust in the Lord. Carrying around a secret sin is just like having a boulder strapped to your ankle. You're not going to move forward until it's dealt with. Today, Pastor Daniel addresses Jacob's prophecy for his son Reuben, whose sexual immorality was found out. We'll be challenged to consider whether we're hauling around any sinful baggage and encouraged to bring it out into the light. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Jacob's Prophecy. Just two chapters left here in this great book, the book of Genesis. This is the culmination of what is our third series in this book. We did the origin series Chapters 1 to 11, we looked at the origins of pretty much everything. And then we saw the Patriarch series, chapter 12 to 33, where we dialed in on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we've been doing the Brothers series, chapters 34, and we'll culminate that next week as we take chapter 50. And really the end, these last three chapters in the book of Genesis function to tie up all the loose ends, all the loose ends of Jacob and his 12 sons. And as you were here last week, you saw now we have 13 of them with the adoption of Joseph's two sons. And we talked about that last week. And these last two chapters really set the stage for the Exodus narrative. Now, if you recall, and I said this last week, and I've said this a lot in this series, that the Bible is primarily about three things. It's about God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and the land. That's been a running theme. And it's interesting that at the end of this book, in these last three chapters, there is a reiteration of God's prominence in the biblical narrative that God calls a people to himself. And that people at this point is Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to Jacob's sons and God's promise of a land. And just as Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, now in chapter 49... We're going to see Jacob blessing his 12 sons in a sense, but mostly speaking prophetically over their lives. Chapter 49 means that Jacob is speaking prophetically about his sons. Now, I'll be honest with you. As many of you know who've been here, I didn't grow up in the church, nowhere near it. Didn't crack a Bible until I was a senior in college for the very first time. And I'll be honest with you, coming to the scriptures as a skeptic, kind of being skeptical of organized religion. I was even skeptical of disorganized religion. 
I was, I was skeptical of spirituality in general because I felt like it was a buzzword. When I actually started to actually read the Bible, the prophetic reality of the Bible was absolutely disconcerting to me and my skepticism. Because the reality that God foretells certain events with such specificity, I couldn't ignore it even when I wanted to. And I challenge, if you're in here today and you're a skeptic, I don't knock you for that. We've been raised in our culture to be skeptical, but at least be an intellectually honest skeptic. And I encourage you to be that because I wasn't one. Be an intellectually honest skeptic. And if you're going to say that the Bible isn't true, then you better do enough research to know what's in it. And as you study it, what you will find, like I found, like a lot of people before me found, is that when you study the Bible and you see the specificity with which God foretells certain events, you're going to have to come to a decision on how is that possible? How is that possible? And it's one of the ways that God self-authenticates the message of the gospel. And even in the prophet Isaiah, he talks about this. He's like, listen, if these wooden statues that you worship in America, most people don't worship wooden statues. We kind of prefer paper ones. Why are you guys laughing? The Lord calls out those statues and said, if you're really God, tell us what's going to happen beforehand that we may know. Tell us what will happen. So one of the ways God reveals himself is by saying, look, this is what's going to happen. And then when it happens, people say, hey, how did that happen? How did that happen? And it's because God, the Alpha and the Omega, living in the eternal now, seeing the beginning and the end as if it's ever in the present, already knew how he was going to orchestrate events and told people beforehand that when it came to path, they'd say, this is the true and living God. And these chapters right here, Genesis 49 is one of those chapters. Let's jump right on in. Look at what it says in verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel, your father. This is just the calling of his sons. But I did want you to notice verse two with the interchange of gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel, your father. Now, a lot of way through, there's been lots of questions about why is Jacob's name being used as Jacob sometimes? Why is he being called Israel other times? And I've made the case, and I've had numerous questions about it, that I really feel that it's used in a, what would be considered a prophetic parallelism way, where it, it has a poetic device. But other scholars, as I've said, would tell you that Jacob is used when Jacob is functioning in the flesh, and Israel is used when... Jacob, but Israel is functioning in the spirit. And it's interesting that he, in a sense, he could be saying, listen to me, the sons of my flesh, of my own body, and listen to the words of Israel, your father, as a spiritual head. I bring that out, as I've said before, I'm not sold on on that interpretation, but I think it bears something to think about. And for those of you who love those kind of things in the Bible, run with it, write some papers, email them to me, I'd love to read them. I love reading this kind of stuff, but I wanted, I wanted you to notice the interchange where Jacob out of his own mouth calls himself Jacob and Israel. But, and as I've said with the unique names is that for all of us, 
we do have two natures that battle within us, don't we? We all have the flesh, that part of us that's in rebellion against God, that likes rebellion, that seeks as best as we can to live a self-styled life. And then there's that part of us that is in the spirit that says, I want to honor the Lord God Almighty. And in each one of us, the flesh and the spirit war against each other. And the decisions of the will that we make end up allowing one of these things to play out or the other. And it is a decision of the will. The Holy Spirit prompts us and then we, with the free will that God has given us, we make decisions. And so I bring all this out just to say, listen, always remember that there is a battle raging. There is a battle raging and it never ends. It will end when we're back with the Lord, when we're perfected, when we're given our new bodies. But until then, we need to make decisions of the will prompted by the Holy Spirit to honor God and live after the Spirit as opposed to living after the flesh. But we have to remember that that battle is always there and we make decisions in the process. So now, verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So this is the prophecy of Reuben. Now notice, Reuben is a paradox. In verse 3, we find out that Reuben was his firstborn. If you recall from Genesis 29, verse 32, that Reuben was the firstborn of Leah. And that was a place of honor. In that culture, the rights of the firstborn was very prominent. And so Reuben had a place of honor. Notice he says, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. So in verse three, we have the reality that Reuben by inheritance was the beginning of Jacob's strength, the beginning of his power. He was in a place of dignity. But notice, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Unstable as water. So although given an inheritance of glory, Reuben's lot and his issue was instability. When you read something like unstable as water, it makes you think of James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You notice that? The instability of water in James speaks about a person who lacks faith. And when we don't believe, we are like a boat tossed on a tempest in an ocean where we're all over the place. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read about being unstable as water, I think to myself, I could be like that. You know, it's funny, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a musician, and we were talking about that kind of classic musician personality where you're given to fits of emotion, and it makes for great songwriting, but it's kind of awful spiritually. Oftentimes, our emotions get the best of us, and we don't function just trusting the Lord, right? Something happens, and I can make the excuse that I'm Italian, and so emotionalism is kind of in my DNA. But the reality is, is that instability comes when we lack faith. 
when we lack that settled trust that God is God and we are not, that God has things under control and we don't have to because he does. So Reuben's instability shows us that we need to make sure that we trust in the Lord. Notice it says, unstable as water, you shall not excel. And that had to be a heartbreaking thing for Reuben to hear. Because of his instability, he was not going to excel. His life was not going to be as fruitful as it could have been. Why? Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, if you remember in Genesis 35, 22, it says this, And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So Reuben went and slept with his father's concubine and defiled his bed. And so what does this teach us? I just want to pull one more application out of it. That sexual immorality will not let us excel. We will not excel if we live sexually immoral lives. For all sorts of reasons. There are not just physical consequences things like sexually transmitted diseases. There are also emotional consequences. There are mental consequences and there are spiritual consequences. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. If you have made mistakes, there is grace for you. But if you are here and in Christ, then you know better. God has a more excellent way for you. And you gals, I always say it when we get to a point like this, if you are seeing a man who is not willing to marry you, then he is not worthy of that part of your life. And you want to be with a man who will lead you spiritually, who realizes that sex is not about him, it's actually about the Lord and then you and then him at the end of it. And you guys... You hear what I'm saying? Be that kind of a guy who honors the Lord. It's not about just me, 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 what I want. That's not the way God designed it. In our fallenness, we're selfish. In our regeneration, we are God-centered and then other-centered, and then we get to ourselves. And sexual immorality runs rampant in all cultures. The sexual immorality of, of the 21st century West is pretty much the same thing as it was in Roman culture. The only difference now is that we have it in magazine form, we have it in internet form, and all the other forms. But sexual immorality debases a soul. That's what it does. It cheapens what God created in his own image for his own glory. And I really want to encourage all of us to study what the Bible says about sexual immorality. Because it is too common within the body of Christ. It's too common. It shouldn't be named among us as saints. But as I said, if you've made mistakes, there is grace for you. And like the woman caught in the act of adultery who was brought to Jesus and the people there wanted to stone her to death, he said, listen, I don't condemn you either, but what? Go and sin no more. So there is grace for you, but brother, sister, go and sin no more. And I want to encourage you, if you are here today or you're listening online, I want you to talk with your pastor, whether at your local church, come talk to a pastor here. Once you bring sin into the light, then it can be dealt with. But as long as you keep it a secret, Satan can continue 
to play with it. So bring it out into the light. Drag it into the light. Confess it. Allow somebody to pray with you and encourage you. There'll be no condemnation. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't help you to have a secret sin that nobody knows about. Because then you just keep doing it and nobody knows. But when you drag it into the light and you allow someone to pray with you and encourage you, that's where the change begins. But you got to drag it into the light. And I know... Listen, all of our sin is the same. All of our sin is like those little bugs under a log. It likes it under there. It's dark, moist, a little warm. Then you lift that log up. What happens to all those little bugs? They scatter. They don't want to be in the light. That's the way our sin is. All of our sin is like that. We flee the light because the light is so revealing. It's too honest. But brothers and sisters, listen. It's about God's glory. And God created the act of intimacy between a husband and a wife, between a male and a female, as the physical manifestation of the oneness of flesh that Jesus has with his church. And he made it glorious. And it makes sense that cultures that reject God debase that. Because they want to obscure God's glory in the unity, the one fleshment of a man and a woman, of Jesus and his church. And I believe that in Jesus' name, we need to reclaim sexuality for the glory of God. Not some sort of oppressive sexuality, but a God-honoring sexuality. Amen? It's said that Reuben would not excel. When you read your Bible, you will find no judge comes from the tribe of Reuben in the book of Judges. No kings from the tribe of Reuben ever. And no prophet from the tribe of Reuben. Wow. So Jacob wasn't kidding. Now, verses 5 and 6. So we move to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." Yikes. I mean, that's rough, isn't it? But remember, this is all about what went on in the book of Genesis, in the Dinah incident, in chapter 34. Everything about their brothers, but their instruments of cruelty. So they remember what happened where they, they were upset about Dinah and they had those guys get circumcised. And on the third day, when the pain was the worst, they went and they overcame them. And what's interesting is, is that is the defining point of their lives. Because all the way through, it talks about their cruelty, their anger, their self-will, their wrath. It's interesting that two future revolts against Moses involve the descendants of Simeon and Levi. Zimri in Numbers 25, 6, he was from the tribe of Simeon. The rebellion of Korah in Numbers 16. He was of the tribe of Levi. So this speaks in a sense of those kind of generational curses, those generational sins. Now, of course, I want to bring out the reality that something that will hold us back is anger, wrath, self-will. You know, listen, the Bible was written for our admonition. So when we see Reuben and sexual immorality became an issue... And it calls him back. We want to say, Lord, I don't want to make the same mistake as Reuben. 
When we see Simeon and Levi and their issue is anger, wrath, cruelty, self-will, we need to say, Lord, we don't want to make the same mistake as Simeon or Levi. And let's be honest. We all struggle with anger sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we're just cruel with people. We say things simply to hurt people. It's so common, but we need to ask the Spirit of God to do battle against our anger. Don't miss this, that God is in a transformative process in all of our lives, isn't he? So if you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I have anger issues, anger management problems. The key is, is that you see growth over time. You know what the best New Testament example of it is? The Apostle John. The Apostle John became known as the apostle who Jesus loved, right? The disciple who Jesus loved. But if you read the Gospels, John was also called the son of thunder. Because when a Samaritan village would not accept the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, listen, let's just call down fire on these guys and get rid of them. I mean, talk about anger management problems. He's like, man, let's just, let's just consume these guys with the fire of God. Let's go, Jesus. They didn't accept you. Let's just wipe them out. But by the end of his life, he's the apostle whom Jesus loved. Every single chapter of 1 John is about love. It's about love. It's about love. Why? Because love is where God is at. And so if you're here and you're struggling with cruelty, you're struggling with anger, you're struggling with self-will, let the Lord transform your life and you will see growth over time. You might be like the Apostle John. You used to be really, really angry and now you just talk about love all the time. Because that's the way God changes a human soul. By His Spirit. By His Spirit. Anger and violence will cause desolation. That's what happens. And we need to ask God for grace. Now, moving on. Verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, imagine you were the brothers, the sons of Jacob, and you're sitting there, right? Right? And you hear the prophecy over Reuben, and you think, ouch. Right? Then you hear the prophecy over Simeon and Levi, and you think, oh, man, it's going to be one of those days with that. It's just getting mad. And then all of a sudden, with Judah, out of nowhere, Judah, which means praise, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Wow! How cool is that? Jesus is real. Sexual immorality, anger, cruelty, all these things devalue what God created in us. 
Because of his sin, Reuben would not excel. Because of their anger, Simeon and Levi would be divided and scattered. Sin holds us back. God can help us overcome it. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited. My book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available right now. It is released and God is using this book to be a message of hope to people who realize that life is messy, but Jesus is real. So get the book now. You can download it online. Go to honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold and where you like to get it. You and your friends are going to be blessed to get to read Honestly. I'm so excited about it. God bless you. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about Jacob and his prophecy over his sons. A surprising word about Judah brings us to an exciting explanation about the line that Jesus came from. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Brothers. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.